Matthew chapter 2 this evening, Matthew chapter number 2. And uh, we're going to read the first six verses uh, of a passage that at this point is probably fairly familiar uh, to our church family. We have been looking at Matthew 2 since the beginning of the Christmas season, and I figured why stop now, amen? So Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the first six verses together. Stand with me if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's word. And uh, let's go ahead tonight, let's read them in unison together. Matthew 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel." Tonight I want to bring a message simply entitled this, The Difference Between Wise Men and Fools. The Difference Between Wise Men and Fools. Father, I pray that in these moments you'd have your will, have your way, give us ears to hear and a heart to heed that which you'd have for us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So, of course, church, here in our study, we are sticking with the wise men. And how true is it that wise men still seek him? That uh, very simply, what is a wise man? It is a man that seeks the Lord Jesus. And I want to continue to encourage our church family, make much of Jesus this season. Let's make much of King Jesus. I mean, we are celebrating Him. We are celebrating His birth, the greatest gift that has ever been given. Let's make much of Jesus this year. Let's not let this season go by in our family, in our church, in our community without making much of Jesus. But I noticed, as I studied this passage, that we have more than one group of wise men in the passage. Now, we have the traditional wise men, uh, the men who, uh, they they were the magi, they were the ones from the east who traveled from afar to, to see the Christ child, to see the newborn king. Those are the ones that we traditionally call the wise men. However, when King Herod needed advice, he called some of the men that he considered to be wise men to come to his aid. He called the scribes and the chief priests and and the Pharisees, those who were the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. But practically speaking, the wise men that we traditionally call wise men were wise. But those who should have been wise men were fools. They were fools. So what makes the difference between wise men and fools. Let's look at this together tonight. I want you to notice, number one, if you would, the certainty of what God had done. 
I want you to notice the certainty to what God had done. God has always done exactly what he said he would do. God has always done exactly what he said he would do. And church, the reality is, when it came to the matter of where the Christ child should be born, the chief priests, the scribes of the people, the religious leaders, they knew exactly where to look. They said, thus it, it, thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem. You know, you think about, and church, I marvel at the prophecies in this book. And how God has always done what he said he would do. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time with that. Because sometimes I have good intentions, but my good intentions don't always play out. Sometimes, for instance, I have more of a schedule than I have of a clock. And there have been times when I have told the kids, well, we will try to go get ice cream. We will try to do this or watch that. And, and then all of a sudden, wouldn't you know it, we ran out of time. Now, I don't do it on purpose. Sometimes my kids think I do. But I don't. Sometimes I can't always do what I said I was going to do. Why? Because sometimes my good intentions just don't work out. Sometimes... Sometimes, honestly, we are victims of circumstances beyond our control, but not God. God never comes up short. There is a certainty to what God has done, and he has always done what he said he would do. God is never a victim of unfortunate circumstances. What God says is what comes to pass. Now, when you think about the prophecies of this book, we're going to stop tonight and just even think about the prophecies concerning Jesus. Now, i got a couple of men who are going to help me out. So, men, if you would, go ahead and stand up. And you could even, Brother Barry, you could recruit Brother Charles. And Brother Mark, if you want to recruit somebody, recruit Daniel, that would be great. Um, thank you, Daniel. You've been recruited. Uh, I want you guys to get a hold of one of these. Uh, Brother Charles helped me type this up today. These are a, a number of, by all means, they're not all inclusive, a number of the prophecies concerning Christ in the Old Testament. And you can see the Old Testament reference of what was prophesied, uh, what would be a, what, what, about Christ. And you can see the New Testament reference about what actually came to pass. And so I give you this not because I'm going to go over it now, but because I want you to have it. I want you to study it. I want, I want you to have this so you can see that God has always set, done what God said he would do. Always. There is a certainty to what God has done. You think about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus. Genesis 3 and verse number 15 prophesies of the virgin birth. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between her, thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Here in Genesis 3.15 we see the prophecy of one who would come. That would be of the seed of the woman. 
By the way, that's not the normal way we talk about that. And there's a reason that it was of the seed of the woman and not of the seed of the man. Because of the virgin birth. Joseph was not Jesus' father. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, the Bible says very specifically, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We see the miracle, the prophecy of the virgin birth. We see the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Matthew 5, uh, Micah 5 and verse number 2. This is the verse that was referenced in Matthew 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, <clears throat> yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. By the way, that verse right there, along with Isaiah 9 and verse number 6 and many other, prophesied that the Messiah that would come would be everlasting God. Isaiah 9 and verse number two, or not 6, the Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It was foretold that Jesus, the Messiah, would teach and preach in parables. Parables that would be rejected by the people. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse number 9, the Bible says, And he says, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Prophesy that though Messiah would teach and preach, the people would be, would be blind and deaf to what he was truly saying. It was prophesied that the Messiah, Jesus, would present himself to his people on a donkey. Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Hundreds of years before Jesus came, prophesied that he would make his entry on a donkey. It was prophesied that he would be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. And I said unto them, if you think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed my price, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. It was prophesied specific details of the beating that he took before he was crucified. Isaiah 50 and verse number 6. And I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that did pluck off the hair. And I hid not my face from shame and spitting. It was prophesied that his garment would be divided. Psalm 22 and verse 18. They parted my garments among them and cast lots from my vesture. It was prophesied that he would be forsaken of God. Psalm 22 and verse number 1. The psalmist says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53 and verse number 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. 
It was prophesied that he would rise from that borrowed tomb. Psalm 16 in verse number 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. On a side note, I included 20 prophecies. Some list as many as 350 plus. Even what we have looked at tonight, how can you deny who Jesus is? How can a rational, sane human being see what was prophesied of old, see how God did exactly what God said he was going to do to the letter? How can you deny who Jesus is? The odds are astronomical. Well, I've heard some people say, well, Jesus just, Jesus just tried to make it so he, he fulfilled all of these things. Really? Really? So you're saying that if Jesus just made all of this happen, he made himself be born in Bethlehem? Really? He made himself have a forerunner prophesied in several books of the Old Testament. Really? He, he just schemed and worked it so that the Roman soldiers would take his garments and divide them among them. He somehow schemed and worked it so that he was hung on a tree. By the way, the Jewish people wanted to stone him or throw him off a cliff long before they tried to hang him on a tree. No, it happened the way it did because God said it would happen the way it did. Because Jesus is who he said he is. He is the Son of God. And to deny that honestly requires a level of willful blindness. By the way, what you have in your hand is a great soul winning tool as well. To look at the words of scripture written hundreds of years before they happened. And see that God always does what God said he would do. And by the way, it's not just Jesus. There are hundreds of other prophecies about Jesus. About other people. About nations. About kingdoms. And there is a certainty to what we see in this book. And that certainty is simply this. God has always done exactly what he said he would do. And so we see a certainty to what God has done. But I want us to see another thought tonight. Not just a certainty to what God has done. Where is the Christ child going to be born? Well, in Bethlehem. Not just a certainty to what God's done, but a confidence in what God's determined. A confidence in what God's determined. So this is the next logical step, church. If I can see with certainty that God has always been true to his word, then I ought to be able to have confidence that he always will be. If he has fulfilled all of these other things, and I see that with certainty, then I can with confidence say that he will do all of these other things that we have not yet seen done. In other words, let's put it this way. Not only has God always done what he said he would do, but God will always do exactly what he said he will. Give you this thought. Jesus has come. Amen, church? But he's also coming again. Jesus is coming again. The Bible says in John 14, beginning in verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, this is Jesus speaking, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. Hey, Jesus came, amen, but Jesus is also coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning in verse 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, Jesus is coming again. Not only is Jesus coming again, but Jesus is coming and will reward His children according to their works. Hey, that's exciting. I not only get heaven... But as I live for Christ, I get rewarded. Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 42 says this, And whosoever shall give drink to, uh, unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. You know what? Jesus says he'll reward us for just a cup of cold water. Sounds to me like Jesus is looking for ways to reward his children. Guys, he hasn't set the bar real high. He is looking for ways to reward us. Let's be faithful to what he's called us to do. Revelation 22, Jesus says this. He said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his work shall be. Hey, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming and will reward his children according to their works. Jesus is coming and will reward, will reward his children. He will restore and eventually recreate all things. Revelation 21, the Bible says this, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Revelation 22, we get another glimpse. There the Bible says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, 
which bare twelve manner of fruits that yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse. But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him, and they shall see His face. His name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there. Now this is incredible to me. And there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Jesus has come to reverse the curse. Jesus has come. The ruin of sin has and will be reversed by the Savior. Church, as certainly as we can look at the hundreds and thousands of prophecies that have already been fulfilled, we can look in this book and see hundreds of promises that have not yet come to pass. You know what? Let the so-called scholars doubt. God will always do what he said he will do. You know what? Let the modern man mock. Because God will always do what he said He will do. And you can have the utmost confidence in that. We consider here the difference between a wise man and a fool. We have to consider first the certainty, the the, the certainty to what God had done. That God always, God has always done what he said he would do. We also find that we have a confidence in what God has determined. That because I I can see that God is faithful and he has done what he has said, I can be sure that he will continue to be faithful and that he will do what he has yet promised. When I consider these two realities, it brings me to a third point. And this I have to consider, it becomes a challenge to what I am doing. When I consider the certainty of what God has done and and the certainty that I confidence that I can have in what God has determined, if I really stop and think about the significance of it, it issues a challenge to what I am doing. And this brings us back to our passage tonight in Matthew chapter number 2. One of the saddest parts of this passage of Scripture we find in verses 4 through 6. There the Bible says, excuse me, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, these are supposed to be the wise men of the nation of Israel. These were supposed to be the wise men of God's people. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. One of the saddest parts. Why? Why is this sad, preacher? Because these men who were supposed to be wise, they knew. They knew. They knew what God had said. They knew. It doesn't seem like they hesitated. They knew. Where? Bethlehem. Why? For thus it is written by the prophet, they knew. 
They knew what God had said. They knew what God has promised. They knew but did nothing. You realize Jerusalem and Bethlehem were only about five miles apart. They knew but did nothing. And church, before we get on our holier-than-thou soapbox or look down over our overly sanctified spectacles, aren't we so often guilty of the same thing? How often am I left unimpacted by the promise of His second coming as they were by the first. Where is Christ going to be born? Eh, over there. In Bethlehem. Okay, what were we doing? Hey, Jesus is coming again. Yes. And won't that be a wonderful day? Okay. What were we doing? Before we look down our overly sanctified spectacles on the chief priest, how often are we left unimpacted by the certainty of his second coming just as they were unimpacted by the certainty of his first? How dangerous. How dangerous is it when we get to the place where our beliefs no longer challenge or change our behavior. The Bible knows of no such faith. So much so that in James, the Bible says faith without works is dead. Can I tell you, the Bible knows nothing of a faith that points the direction of truth. The Bible only knows of a faith that walks the direction of truth. And those are two very different things. And I find so often that we, like the scribes and the chief priests and the Pharisees, we are conscious, we are conscious of the truth. And yet we are not changed by it. Can I tell you, really, that is the difference between wise men and fools? The difference between wise men and fools is what we do with the truth we've been given. You see, there are a whole lot of fools out there who have a whole lot of truth at their disposal. But just because you think you possess it doesn't make you a wise man. The difference between wise men and fools are what we choose to do with the truth that's given to us. And why do we call the wise men the wise men? Really, uh, the term for them is magi. Why do we call them wise men? Because when they received truth, they didn't just point at it. They followed it. They followed it. They followed it. Why do we look back on the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and we look at how foolish their actions were because they had so much truth in front of them and yet were unimpacted by almost all of it. How dangerous is the place 
where our beliefs no longer challenge or change our behavior. I want to encourage you tonight. Let the fact that he has come impact your life. He has come as he said he would. Amen. That's what this season is all about. Let the fact that he has come impact your life. How so, preacher? I'll tell you first, Titus 2 and verse number 11, the Bible says, And the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Salvation has come, and his name is Jesus. I say it on a Wednesday night because we had somebody get saved a couple Wednesday nights ago. And no doubt there could be folks here who've never placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. You have never received him as your savior. Oh, if that's you tonight, you have any doubt where you stand with God. Get it settled. Get it settled. Get it settled. Why would you go home and toss and turn about whether or not you'd go to heaven or hell when you can get it settled tonight? Why would you wonder... When you don't have to. Let the fact that he has come impact your life. Find salvation in his name. Find rest. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Well preacher, how do we do that? Well one of the ways we can do it is like what we were doing earlier. We can take all our cares to him in prayer. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, seeing that we have a high, great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You see that Jesus, because he came, he can empathize with the human condition. And so we bring our care to him. Let the fact that he has come impact every aspect of your life. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5, I want you to see this. Let your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness and be, with, be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He has come and he has promised to always be with us. In church, frankly, that ought to be enough. Why can I live my life without covetousness? Ooh, covetousness runs wild at Christmas. I want this and I want this and I want that. Yes, yes, yes. All over the place, right? That's what the season has become for the world. Honestly, that's how we live 12 months out of the year in the world. That's how the culture is. But for us as Christians, it ought not be that way. Let your conversation, your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content. Why? Because he's with us. And that ought to be enough. He is our shepherd. I don't lack anything. Because the shepherd provides it all. Church. Has the fact that he has come. Ceased to impact our lives. I tell you. It's something worthy to give pause and thought to. Because you know, it's easy for stuff to get old hat. 
Let the fact that he has come impact every aspect of your life. I'll give you this other challenge tonight. Let the fact that he is coming again impact every aspect of your life. You know, the Bible says this, John 3, verses 2, and 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Hey, he's coming again, amen? And every man that has this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know what that verse says? That verse says that... Since I know he's coming again, since I know I'm going to be made like him, boy, even now that motivates me to get ready and to purify myself. Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning of verse 12, looking for and hastening into the coming of the day of God. Hey, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness Wherefore, because of this, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him without spot and blameless. In other words, based on the certainty of what's coming, that ought to shape my character and conduct today. My beliefs ought to impact my behavior. My beliefs ought to impact my behavior. Let me give you another side of that. First Thessalonians 4 and verse number 18. After this passage about the rapture of the church, it says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I grew up in a scenario when the coming of Jesus was always mentioned in a way that was meant to terrify you. Um, I don't know if anybody else ever grew up in that context, uh, but that was the context I kind of grew up in. And I was always like, no, Jesus, don't come back. But, but that's not what the Lord wants for us, right? The Lord wants us to long for his coming, to look for his coming. Like, he is our beloved and we are his. It's a beautiful thing. When we think of the Lord's coming, the Lord wants us to think about the restoration that's going to take place the final redemption, the glorification, the reunion of friends and of family. The fact that there will be no more sickness, no more separation, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more any of that. No more Satan, amen? No more, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more. It's a beautiful thing. You know what? The Lord sometimes, I think, wants us when we get real down and we get real burdened and we get real broken with the cares and loss of this world. The Lord wants us to be able to look at what he has promised and find comfort in our hearts and say, even so come, Lord Jesus. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hey, it's not going to be like this forever. Hey, I, has not seen, I know it's hard, but I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Hey, I know it's not easy. I know the burdens are heavy. I know the loss is greater than I can even imagine. I know. But I also know that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It ain't always going to be like this. And it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. 
the difference between wise men and fools. I looked at these men who traveled from afar, and we called them wise men. I looked at these men who resided in and around the temple, who who handled and cared over the word of God, who knew it inside and out. These men who should have been wise men. I thought to myself, what is the difference between wise men and fools? Well, it is simply what we do with the light, the truth that we've been given. It's easy to say, huh, God wants us to go that way. It's a very different to put your feet to the road and head that direction. Can I ask you tonight, is there an area in your life in which... For whatever reason, we've gotten to the place where we hear the inspired word and yet find ourselves unimpacted. Oh, we know that if we were asked about it, we'd be able to say, God intends that direction. But for whatever reason, our feet aren't walking that way. Can I ask us tonight, if we got into the place where we have become conscious of but not changed by or challenged by truth in some area. Church, this is what makes the difference between wise men and fools. Let's be wise men for the glory of our King. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the certainty that that we can see, Lord, you have always done what you said you would do. And God, I thank you for the confidence that we can have that you will always do what you have promised to. But Lord, I pray that we would never stop there. But that, Lord, we would always allow the certainty of what we know and the confidence that we have in you challenge, shape, and change the way I live in this world for your glory. Help me, I pray. Help me, I pray, to walk in every ounce of truth you give me. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you stand together tonight, heads bowed, eyes closed. It's our opportunity now to respond as God has spoken to us. As our pianist begins to play, as God has spoken to you, would you respond to him? Hey, if the Holy Spirit's put his finger on an issue, an area in your life... Take it to God tonight. Get it right with God tonight. Leave it on the altar tonight. There's some area maybe you want light, guidance, truth. Ask Him for it. It's to turn tonight to walk as wise men.
Father, how we love you and we thank you for the truth we find in your word. Truly, we, we have direction when we want it. We have direction when we need it. Help us, I pray, to determine that we are going to be wise men, not fools. To not just hear the instruction, but to allow ourselves to be impacted by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, church, thank you for listening so well tonight. I know we looked at a lot of scripture, but hey, that's a good thing in church. Amen. And I want to encourage you, take that form, and even as we have a couple of weeks till Christmas, spend some time and just look at the prophecies of Scripture. And uh, like I said, what I gave you was a small sampling of what you can find throughout the Old Testament of those very specific prophecies that Christ fulfilled uh, from the Old Testament in the New Testament. I think it would be a blessing to you and a great study and help to you. And again... A wonderful witnessing tool. That's one of the hardest things that the scoffers have to try to figure out is how Daniel and Isaiah and those guys hundreds of years before the birth of Christ could prophesy like they did and see every bit of it come to pass. Why? Because Jesus is who he says he is, the very Son of God. Amen. Hey, let's go tell somebody that glorious truth. God bless you. You're dismissed.